Welcome to the Trying to Be Better podcast with Joel and Steve. Here we go. Oh, here it goes. It's going. It's happening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Trying to Be Better podcast with Joel and Steve. I think I'm Joel. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm Steve. And I am. I'm, I'm think, Steve. And this is a podcast. Hey, here's open, man. Uh, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm groggy, man. I'm yeah. really groggy. I mean, it's it's Sunday morning, which, you know, is fine. I like Sunday mm-hmm. mornings, but I played a show last night and which our guest today was kind enough to come out to and yeah it was good but you know um i turned into a pumpkin at 10 o'clock and i got to bed at two in the morning so you know it's like wake up at 7 30 how do you how do you afford your rock and roll lifestyle how do i afford my well i don't use anymore there you go so there like the you know the the biggest the hardest part of it is literally just functioning on a sunday on five and a half hours of sleep you know yeah that's yeah whatever when you're it's not fine. fucked up there's so much more room for well, that's what i'm saying like i'm not physically devastated from my actions last night you know yeah. and i yeah. have some thing resembling clarity <laughs> like i'm pretty sure i know what happened last night so you know I- i'm groggy Good. too this was my rock and roll saturday night you ready for it i'm fuck, i'm strap in man strap Dude, on okay. that jammy pack let's do this <laughs> so <laughs> uh i <laughs> I uh, I went over to a friend's house and we had uh, dinner. Uh, they made potato soup, mm. and then we played a game. We played a we played a, a tabletop board game called Ticket to Ride Europe. Oh. Ticket to Ride Europe Edition, where you build it, trains. Oh, that sounds great! Actually, it was great. And then we played Password. I don't know what that is. Yeah, you do. You know the do- old game show with like Betty White and all that and the Password, and they like one word, and it's like. Darren knows. He knows what's up. I don't Darren know what's up. And then came home, played a little Zelda, watched a little British baking show. Man, that is just so out of control. Was it, uh, was the British baking? Was it Paul Hall, Hollywood and Mary Berry? Mary Berry is no longer on the show that we were. It was Paul Hollywood. We're in like season six or something. It's Paul mm-hmm. Hollywood and Prue. Yeah, Whatever. I love Mary Berry. Yeah, she's great. So that was that was my rock and roll Saturday night, man. I love it. Um, <laughs> we have an Instagram trying to be a better podcast. We yep. have an email ttbbpodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Um, yeah. Follow along, like, subscribe, hit that uh, subscribe and like button, and leave us uh, a review. That'd be super awesome. Send us Positive an email. Or negative or indifferent, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. We just want the clicks. Yeah, we just want we just want your social media capital. Pretty much. Yep. We want be great. we both want to quit our jobs and sell Hondas. <laughs> that's what we want. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's the pinnacle. Like if we just got an endorsement from Hyundai, I think we'd be okay. Yeah, okay. Or sure. like or like uh Squarespace or something. Oh, well they, they do podcasts, they support podcasts. For sure. <laughs> so many so many by Hyundai. See, there you go. Thanks, Darren. Darren just did a. All right. Oh, okay. We should just transition. Sure. That's a nice segue. <laughs> Hi, Darren. Hi, Darren. So we, we have a guest. His name is Darren Keen. He does a lot of amazing things, and he's just an all around amazing, sweet, sweet guy. And he's a pal of ours. And we wanted to have him on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Darren Keen. 
Thank you guys so much. It was great getting over here to the studio. Thanks for picking me up in your Hyundai and bringing me here. Those Hyundais ride so smooth, you know? Don't they? Oh, yeah, that too. And yeah. so roomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm a bigger guy and I had plenty of leg room and uh, a cup holder for all my sugary beverages. And it was mm. wonderful. <laughs> what did you think of the new bidet they put in the back seat? <laughs> it did not work very well. I ended up just getting my ball sack wet. My, my butt is still really gross. Well, they're working on. It. I mean, it's a, it's it. a concept car, so right. Yeah, I well, think it's nice of them. It's nice of them to give us the pre-production model. You know, right? Well, you know, this show is this show is sponsored by Hyundai, so you know, <laughs> I don't pronounce that brand correctly. So I probably shouldn't be the one trying to do the fake uh, sponsor tag. Hyundai, on Hyundai, Hyundai. Hyundai. Yeah. You know Hyundai. what? We're for fear of being canceled, I'm just gonna not even attempt it. There we go. There it's there not, it is. Well, you know, our our corporate overlords are kind of on us right now. Yeah, our metrics aren't great. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're, we're 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 on the verge of being canceled anyway. So we might as well just go for broke. Well, and in all fairness, I can't even really pronounce the name of this podcast. So you know, <laughs> well, thanks for coming on anyway. That'll be butter. All right. <laughs> butter film. I like it. Let's go. Uh, I think Spotify <laughs> removed two and a half episodes of ours because of horrible content. So oh, it wasn't that it was offensive. It was just bad. It was bad. just so bad. Yeah. That's why I haven't been having trouble getting my music up there. They were like not rejected for length, not rejected for mastering volume, but just rejected for sheer lack of excellence. But <laughs> whatever, you know? That's such an objective thing. Better. Like, who who gets to determine excellence? Well, you know, I mean, I I was going to say this till we only had one minute left because it's such a sh- topic that you know we could probably just blast through so quickly. But I think it's Joe Rogan. You know, that's <laughs> who- <laughs> just lobs the Rogan bomb right into the middle oh, of the conversation. Last night I heard a conversation at your show. My friend Jake and. uh this other friend of mine, whose name is also Jake, well, that was strange. Uh, they got, they went down the rabbit hole discussing that. I was just, I was just standing there egging them both on, like, like, like one of them's argument was like, well, he's not funny, and then the other's argument, well, he's not a comedian. So then I looked up his bio, and it says he's a comedian and podcaster. So I'm like, oh, it's just right here, comedian. Look, it's just right here. He's a podcaster. Just trying to get him just really riled up. I'm a terrible person. So, so let me guess the two Jakes, one was a, was, was a Rogan bro. And one was an anti-Rogan bro. Is that, was that the anti-Rogan bro? The other guy, I don't really, I want to cost him as a Rogan bro. He's one, he's like, um, just a really, 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 um, fun, free spirited dude. And he's just like, um, he's, he's like the kind of dude who, when you get wrapped into a conversation with him, like you start talking about like a burger you ate. And then two hours later, you, him and a homeless guy are talking about quantum mechanics or something. <laughs> like it's just, he's just real out there. So yeah, yeah. That, but, yeah it's good to keep those kind of folks in your sphere. Right. Cause you never yeah. know what's going to happen next. Yeah. I brought him on tour with me one time and uh, it got, it was real interesting. I, he, he last night was like, do you remember when I brought, when, when you let me tour with you as a merch guy? And I'm like, yeah, the very first night in Vermilion, I saw your penis. <laughs> I remember that, dude. Of course. How could you? How could I forget? Yeah, this isn't a. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose that's a reasonable question people have. Like, do you remember things from before? But, uh, but yeah. 
<laughs> uh, no, not really. No, sometimes I don't. I mean, I, I there's a couple of times I went to Europe and I'm not, I honestly don't remember most of it. So, yeah. <laughs> so hold on. I got to back up a second for, for our dozens of listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would you describe you just, you're talking about going on tour. Like how yeah. would you describe what you do when you're on tour? You're okay. a DJ musician, performance artist. Like what's how, how do you see yourself as an artist either, either back in the days we don't really remember or currently or both. Okay. If you were to like track all of my, musical career over from when I first started touring to now when I still tour the one like some things that would be consistent are I like to I'm usually playing solo Uh, there's usually a computer and there's usually some kind of humor whether that humor is more in the forefront or a little more subtle varies it has varied over time and then what I used to do was more like a punk rock lounge act where I played on the floor. I took my shirt off. I drank heavily and was embraced like really like physical, like running around, screaming into a microphone, pushing people around and being crazy. But now when I perform, I like to be on the stage or, or in the area that is designated for the per- performer to be. And I have a little more equipment now and I'm touching equipment when I play and perform live now. Mm hmm. Um, oh, you're yeah. a musical performance artist person. Yeah, I've, I've done all kinds. I mean, definitely in the back of the day, it was way the performance art thing was a, a thing. Now there's still a performance, but I, I mean, like, I'm not like, uh, there's there's not really a risk of like me, like directly, like rubbing my sweaty body on you. Or <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, one time I, I, at a venue, um, I pulled the whole PA into the bathroom because there was like, <laughs> people at the show in these bathrooms are really big and i was kept dipping this tambourine in the toilet water and splashing it all over everyone mm. like i want to do that now. <laughs> that was fun and like i don't regret it but like i want to do that today you know i think i was the 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 grateful recipient of a of a sweaty darren performance hug at the bourbon a long time ago it was could- <laughs> yeah um so you know the the stories about well, that stories, but just the the you entered my sphere when I started hanging out with Kirsten, my wife, because you guys went to high school together, and I yeah. remember her talking about at one time, and it may be and may have been even before we were dating. She's like, "Oh, my friend, my friend Darren has this band or does this music called The Show Is the Rainbow. You should check it out." And I would my I listened to it, and my mind exploded in all all directions above and below. Thank you. So how did, I mean, talk to us about sort of your, I don't know, like you're from Lincoln. Like what, what, what is the, where'd you go to high school? East high. Oh, okay. Me too. Go Spartans. Spartans. (laughs) I was was the mascots for the football game. Oh, nice. I'd get in that costume and run around like a dickhead. It was fun. I bet. What's the deal? You don't have any friends to go to the game with, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was in, I was in marching band, so kind of the same thing, you know. What do you play? Uh, tenor sax. Mm. Nerdy, like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you, what's the villain origin story of Darren Keene? Like, yeah, yeah uh, it's funny when you said that thing about stories. It reminded me of when I was on Lincoln Calling uh, their stream the other. Well, it was like a few months ago. Man, it's like a year ago now, and they were like. The infamous Darren Keene. I was like, well, there's a million words. Am I talented? <laughs> yeah. Did you just say fucking talented Darren Keene? Uh, 
anyway uh yeah so i was playing in rock bands i replaced my guitar teacher in this rock band back in the day uh with these two older dudes that were really super talented and i was definitely like not on their level with my guitar playing i was good but i'm not they were like real good at drums and bass and what we kind of did was like this like it was almost like a tenacious D vibe. Like the songs had a lot of humor in them. There was lots of times where we would just vamp and joke around with the audience. And I really enjoyed that dynamic. And I started playing with computers at right around the time those guys started wanting to squirt out children and um, stop, stop, to stop touring. So I, I went on my first tour with that band the week after I graduated high school. And so what was that was, band? It was called Musico, uh, like the Spanish word for music. Um, yeah, it was good. It's not, I don't think it's like on Spotify or anything, but it was it was cool. I was a huge fan of theirs before I joined the band. Um, I met them through my guitar teacher, James Valentine of Maroon oh. 5. Oh, yeah. There yeah. You. Little name drop there. He's, you had know. A decent, he's had a decent run. Yeah, he's doing all right for himself. Uh -huh. He's a kid that comes and sees me play in LA and stuff. He doesn't have to nice. do that. Nice I love I love He was in Happy Dog, right? Yeah. yeah. Happy Dog and Musico used to play together all the time. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, I saw I, Happy Dog a couple of times. I loved them. They were awesome. They were wild, fun. Bestie's great. He's back now. He's doing like stuff with Silver Street, and he's he's rolling. But um, yeah. So around the, right towards the end of that is when I started getting like some computer programs where I could make computer music. I got the soft software uh, Reason, which is synthesizer software. I got Reason 1.0. Hmm. Uh, so going way back to like the OG stuff, and I didn't really have a direction, but I was really interested in like like the flaming lips yoshimi battles of pink robots album had come out around then and that was a good combination of like electronics mixed with live instruments and so i was just kind of like you know i was like really into like things like todd rundgren's a wizard a true star where it was just like super singular vision weird production stuff like that um and so i started trying to just kind of like make songs on my own i could play bass pretty well um now i'm now bass is almost taken over as my primary instrument. I really love playing bass. Um, and then, yeah, so I was like, you know, composing songs on guitar, then translating that to like organ parts in reason and just kind of made these like rudimentary little backing tracks essentially. And um, started doing performances where I would just sing over these instrumentals I made with a disc man, like a, oh, oh yeah, I forgot. No one will know what that is anymore. Uh, a <laughs> player that plays cds in it uh cds are the things that we used to have before streaming took over and compact uh, discs compact discs yes yes they they were for more than data storage back in the day I, people don't even use them for that my computer doesn't my new computer doesn't even have a, a disc drive on it yeah optical optical media is basically dead it's, yeah it's going yeah well yeah i mean everything's going to be in the cloud um and which, just for the for those of you that are wondering the cloud basically <laughs> means somebody else's computer right yeah it's, uh, yeah wait 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 it's not a cloud no it is not a cloud sorry joel it's one word is what ha what's happening here there is a cloud that's a cloud you see those all the time nimbus sure cumulonimbus yeah the white puffy things in the sky clouds some, some of them look like valcor from never ending story <laughs> yeah uh atreyu no what was the well anyway okay. atreyu was the kid it was right. like the kid that that lost his horse in the mud. The war. Uh, well, I don't remember that scene. 
Come on. That's like core memory shit for our generation, dude. Don't yeah, I don't remember. I, I love the never ending story. I don't remember a super depressing scene where a kid's horse drowns in the mud. I dude, that's going to come back for you and it's going to rip you apart, Darren. We'll be available when it does. You can call us. Watch the VHS of it. Uh, there was a part where the tape had been cut by my parents and taped back together with the knocking tape. I don't know. Maybe they knew their son was a total sensitive pussy and just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember that super iconic scene from that movie. When I, was I can still see the fucking mud on that <laughs> white horse in my mind. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> computers basically like singing over instrumentals. And then uh, I got real, real into, I started opening for touring bands who were just like, you know, like normal dudes. Like, and I was like, well, I could go on tour. And I was really into like cursive and the faint and all the Saddle Creek stuff. And they were touring. And I was like, well, I can, I can go on tour. And so my first tours were just me doing shows, the Rambo. I literally took a PC e-machines tower on tour with me in a giant rubber tub that I had padded because I was too cheap to buy a laptop. And um, yeah. Oh yeah. Another component was I made videos for all my songs and had them projected on a white sheet held up between two, uh floor lamps and um yeah i would just like go on these tours of like house shows and punk venues i was playing with hardcore bands playing with noise bands um no there wasn't very many people playing with computers and electronics really yet there was no there was there was like rave music but there wasn't Mm -hmm. really a big edm type scene or anything and what years would this have been like what like late 90s when i went no no 2003 is when i went on my first show as a rainbow tour okay Uh, and yeah, I mean, I toured that for like 12 years. And by the end, you know, I had, yeah, I mean, I, I, Hold I on. Kept, you survived 12 years of the show as the rainbow. I mean, yeah. obviously, but I had no idea that went on for that long. Yeah. Cause I, I really started making a good, um, yeah, I guess 2000. I mean, I, I, I put out an album just a couple of years ago, even I still sometimes touch on it, but I don't think I'm going to ever again, but, um, we'll see. But, um, that's kind of a, like, like that's kind of a leap to kind of like fold up that brand. Yeah, I know, but it does, it's not worth anything anywhere. No one knows it. Like I put out an album a few years ago and it, you know, I have like, I made 500 LPs and I have like 475 of them in my basement. <laughs> so, <laughs> gotcha. cool. so, you know, it's, not, it's not, no one knows. I, and I don't care about selling records. I just mean like the people who were all into shows, the rainbow have all gotten older and the odds of them coming out to see me in Minneapolis on a Tuesday have really significantly decreased. You know? Sure. Um, I can appreciate that. And also there's a lot of energy tied up in the shows rainbow of drinking and drug use and stuff like that. And like, sure. I don't know that I, I, I'm really comfortable in sobriety and I thought like I'd be triggered by it. I just don't know that I could do it. I don't know that it would be shows the rainbow without being wasted. I think that's like part of it. And like, sure just kind of put that to bed i'm doing i'm making really cool shit now sure but yeah i mean by the end of shows rainbow i had done some really big tours opening for bigger bands mindless self-indulgence the faint just all kinds of bigger bands like i i there were some places where i was drawing you know a few to several hundred people uh during the really peak years of it and everything and that was really fun and i was making good money and just blowing it all i didn't put anything in the bank back then i was a total just like insane person just driving around the country with massive amounts of cash trying to spend it on liquor as fast as possible um but yeah it was fun i mean it was great times i mean like i i cut my teeth i mean i mean in some ways it was a waking nightmare but in some ways it was really awesome i i 
when I was growing up, I never really dated. Girls didn't like me at all. I was getting laid. I was doing drugs. I was playing big, huge venues. I was being mean to sound engineers. I, I, was I love the, that that's on the list. <laughs> you got to a place where you, know, you I, was, do that. I, was, I get to be mean to sound and it was great. Rock and roll. I sound the sound engineers so much now. And back in the day, I was such a fucking asshole to them. I turn this shit up. Fucking, it's too quiet. Man. You know, it's like, oh my God. Like I would never do that now. I can't. There's this one sound dude in Omaha who for years refused to work any of my shows at the waiting room. He's like, that guy's a fucking asshole. I don't fucking do his shows. Like, and I don't fucking blame him. We're cool now. I've, I've seen him around a bunch and we're cool now, but like, I don't blame him. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was like a fun run. I mean, I really like made a little career for myself or a little, and, and even though I don't do that project anymore, um, it really was like, I think it did help uh, cultivate it was part of a bigger underground movement that still exists today. And I was like one of the first people on that tip. And like, I used to be kind of bashful about that, but now I could just say that honestly and just be cool with it. Now there's a lot of people doing similar one man punky type touring bands. Like, and I still get props for being one of the innovators of that. And like, I, I'm proud of that now. Like I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm bragging by saying that. Cause it's just kind of a fact. Like I, and I'm happy I was on that first wave of that. There was, there was a few other guys. Dan Deacon was around. I used to kick it with oh, Dan yeah. shows together and shit. Girl talk. I was on the same label as girl talk. Like played a bunch of shows with him. One time me, Dan Deacon, girl talk and Tay Zonde, the chocolate rain guy all played together in uh, Minneapolis. That was pretty fun. Wow. <laughs> Girl Talk was, I remember Girl Talk being pretty fascinating because it was like the peak right before, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably the expert on this, but like the ability to sample whatever the fuck you wanted and get away with it, like Girl Talk kind of ruined that. Well, the thing was, I actually have a little insight about this because I knew the guy who ran the label because we were both on it. The thing was, they did two smart things. First off, they put this thing on their website that said, we are technically classified as a comedy label so all of our music falls under parody law so you won't be able to sue us now nice. that was a complete fucking lie they just put that on their website to deter people which is actually really genius like but um <laughs> also after girl talk got to a certain point of popularity it was like beneficial to be sampled in a girl talk song like that laffy taffy song had a resurgence because it was in a girl talk song and also it's like you didn't want to be the asshole that sued Girl Talk. Right. You know, man, if fucking Lindsey Buckingham or one of those old dudes like that had come out of his shell and be like, oh, you don't have the rights to use the arpeggio from Landslide. It's like the fucking universe would have just torn him asunder, you know? And like, yeah. so it just, you know, Girl Talk just like skated on that. And I mean, there, there's some genius. I, I really like what he was doing. The funny thing, the only, the only, misstep he made and i i think he's still kicking he doesn't play as often as he used to but uh the only misstep he made but there was no way to know this at the time was i remember in his branding he, he like on his t-shirts and stuff he, he just used to make t-shirts and giant letters said i am not a dj girl talk and it's like yeah you're separating yourself from the djs and like in the like you know 2010s and 12s that was really cool like you're not you're not a dj and now it's like yeah, you were pretty much a fucking DJ, dude. <laughs> it's got to the point of girl talk. So it's like, yeah, you, he was just ahead of a curve as a DJ, essentially. Yeah. And like, culture caught up with him. And so it's like, I don't know if he still rocks that vibe or not, but it's like, 
why even differentiate at that at this point? I mean, you're, mm. you're he's not he's not Timbaland. He's not like making all original beats. I mean, he's essentially a, a you know a really good DJ. Yeah, mm. but, yeah. So after that, I I started um, getting more interested in like composer music, like Philip Glass and shit like that. And I started a project called Touch People, and that was like really crazy, nutty stuff where I was uh, recording all these instruments into Ableton and then resending them out using a sound card, uh, each on their own channel. So I had like pre-recorded guitar coming out of a guitar amp, pre-recorded bass coming out of a bass amp, all this stuff. So I had like a full band set up, but it was just me, which was a pain in the ass to load. But um, and I did that for a while and toured that too. And then, yeah, just uh, got really interested in electronics, moved to New York, got really into DJing and the rest is kind of history now. I don't know. So what, what kind of, when you, when you moved to that bigger market, mm-hmm. was that, did you talk, talk about that a little bit? Was it like you were a, a, at one point in the Midwest, a big fish in a small pond, and then you were a small fish in a big pond? Or was that, was yeah, that like, absolutely. well, by the time I moved to New York, the popularity of the show is rainbow had dropped. I used to play big shows in Brooklyn and stuff, you know, and like do well in Brooklyn. But, um, since I'd been doing touch people instead of rainbow, I wasn't, they didn't, I, my, you know, it's so, it can happen so fast. And you know, in the moment when you're doing the music and your ego is high, you just don't think it's going to happen to you. Like, I was certain like, oh, people, people will remember shows rainbow in two years, you know, like this is years ago. And it's like literally in two years, all of a sudden there's a bunch of people doing one man bands. And I'm just, you know, like my relevance had just been dissipated over all that. And like, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I remember I used to play South by Southwest every year. I'd go down and play like five or six, 10 shows or whatever. And one year I told my booking agent, Hey, I don't want to go to South by Southwest this year. I, I just don't, I'm not up for it. I don't like it anymore. It's just getting too corporate. I just need a year off. And she's like, yeah, sure. By the end, by, by the South by Southwest next year, there was no chance of me getting in. My booking agent had dropped me. <laughs> like It was like, just mm. like, you know, like you, you just don't think like these things matter, but like in that world, it's, it's, it can be so fickle and like, you have to do all this stuff just to like, kind of like keep up appearances or like, you know, um, not and yeah, keep up appearances, but just keep in the scene or whatever. And that's mm-hmm. another thing about drinking and drugs. Like, that's a huge. That can be a huge part of that. And like, that's that's like, oh man, there's this there's this band I really like called Surfboard. They're a punk band from New York, and there there's some sober people in that band, and they talk about that in one of their posts I saw recently. It's like drinking and drug use is just like a cool thing for like Instagram posts and to like to put in band bios now, and it's stupid, you know. But yeah, like. uh yeah. So anyway, I just by by the time I moved to New York, though, I I, I wasn't really gigging, doing much ori- original music. I was getting really into production and learning about DJing. And so I got married, and me and my uh, now ex wife were just like, "Yo, let's let's move to New York and just like make a life for ourselves and see what's up." And so we did. I had I, at that point, um, since sometimes this is mentioned on the podcast, I'll say at that point I I had stopped drinking, but I was still like way into drugs, but uh, mm. not boozing, even, even though that wasn't like sober, not boozing was a huge help for me in, in an ability to like, you know, get some money together, get organized enough to like facilitate a move to New York, like, you know, get rid of shit. We couldn't move, rent a moving truck, <laughs> like things that normal people can do. Like, yeah, I had, I, yeah, that helped me. That's like part of the reason I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. 
And I had never DJed really. And then when I went out there, I just started getting hired like crazy. And I had six week, six gigs that were like all weeklies and just mm-hmm. like real quickly fell into this DJ lifestyle out there. It was, it was interesting. Hmm. And so were you, were you doing any, any shows with your original work or were you just DJing or, I mean, I guess maybe that shows my ignorance of the, of the, of the world. Like what, how, how was it, was that, was it a, a gigging like that as a DJ? Did that um, influence later original stuff that you're doing now? Like what did that, or maybe you want to talk about the, you know, the, the, the energy of letting go of booze and how that, changed i i'm just curious to know like what what got you from there to where you're at now with with problems okay so when i was djing in new york i wasn't playing like electronic music at all i was playing i was doing gigs literally six gigs a week that were 10 p.m to 4 a.m and i was doing them all on the lower east side of manhattan and those bars they were owned by these like like, I don't know if you know Jesse Malin. you know who that guy is mm-hmm. he's band degeneration he's like a folk singer now he's he's like Anyway, uh, like like the Strokes guys hung out at these bars. Ryan Adams hung out at these bars. It was that kind of scene. And um, I, so I would DJ stuff like funk and soul, and like the I'd play a lot of the Clash. I love the Clash and Buzzcocks and shit like that. And um, it was just like uh, I, I love I love I love that music, and I learned a lot about the art of DJing in that time of like reading a room and knowing when it's, per- I mean, I was playing six days a week. So like I would have to DJ Monday nights and like in a dive bar that, you know, it's like, sometimes there's only three people in there and sometimes there's eight, you know, 200 or whatever. And so, yeah, I really learned about that, that, that aspect of DJing, but it didn't really influence my music, my creation too much around during that time I was making like really clubby dance music and I was playing out a little bit. Um, I, I had I had a I, I had some really good success with with this like clubby music I was making. I got like put uh, I got reviews written in big blogs and I was like um, getting really good gig offers in New York and stuff. But that scene is for me anyway. I mean, my whole life right then was consumed with these like late New York nights. And with that came a lot of cocaine use. Like, uh, yeah, it was like re- destroying me, you know, and um when I think when I think about problems, even though it's electronic, I don't think of it as like at all in that like clubby music world. Like these are like I was playing like, you know, like real dance clubs and shit like that. And like that, you know, anyway. But um, yeah. And so the the transition to just like basically, though, if anything, it totally derailed me because. I got so obsessed with getting my six weekly night DJ gigs that I stopped touring. I stopped writing. All I was doing was making money. It's like what happens to a lot of musicians when they get a real job and then their, their time gets split differently, except my real job was DJing. So it kind of seemed like I was like still in the music world, but it was like a bastardization of my actual dream. You know, mm, it was that's interesting. Doing. Yeah. It's it was kind of like, like a, it's kind of like a parallel, not universe, but it's like, it's kind of what I, want to be doing but not really yeah it's yeah, a, yeah your day job is the thing that's kind of yeah derailing your your art <laughs> but it is artistic so weird. it's kind of like it's it's weird how that happens yeah yeah <laughs> trust me yeah i was gonna i didn't want to say anything because but i think teaching can sort of have that same phenomenon you got to find absolutely your teaching you know because that's i mean that's what a lot of you know creative people end up doing and 
Yeah. And I mean, it is sort of the same thing. It's like, well, this is cool. I'm working in the field I'm interested in, but I'm not doing the actual job I'm interested in. And I mean, don't get me wrong again. Like I had some really fun times just running around the lower East side of Manhattan doing drugs and DJing. I mean, I can't say that wasn't awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely be fucking lying, you know, like, but, um, you know, but again, th- that was awesome, but it was, I mean, that right there though, that was the most nightmarish time of my life. My marriage was dissolving. My wife was cheating on me all the time. I can't even blame her. Cause I was a total deadbeat st- spending all of our money, stealing money, you know, just like sp- anything to, to feed my cocaine addiction, just to get to the next gig, just so I could get through six hours of DJing so I could buy the next bag so I could get to the, and it was just this terrible, terrible cycle. Um, yeah. And I mean, I was still making, you know, some music, but not, not, not with, not with the, um, uh, not as much as I, not with the same, I wasn't as prolific mm-hmm. as I, be, and I wasn't making as good a shit as I could. Like my, my cocaine's my, cocaine's weird like that. Ooh, man yeah you know something else interesting about cocaine for all the audio dorks out there is since it constricts your blood vessels when you use it that does that in the ones in your ear too so you perceive there to be more bass than there is in like your eqing and that's why in the 80s all those like duran duran albums and nxs albums are so fucking bright sounding is because the band and the producers were all yacked out of their minds. And so they're like, we need more trouble. We need more trouble. Turn the trouble up, make it brighter, make it brighter. And then you play it now. And it's like, Oh my, oh my God. God. <laughs> That's fascinating shit. I'm never yeah. going to listen to like, you know, new wave synth fucking eighties music. Her name, name is now. Rio yeah. and she, uh, there's this Brian Eno song. Oh, what, what song is it? I can't remember. It comes in with this really loud synth in the middle. And like, man in headphones it's just brutal and stuff and like they've remastered it and stuff since then but i had like an original pressing i mean it was just like jesus christ dude like i, I, know- I think of uh tears for fears uh head over heels when that when oh, wow. score- yeah, it's like man. jesus god that's like tore my brain in half so that's that's the scientific explanation yeah it's a real thing um yeah so but but you know like i still have a lot of love for new york and like I would love to spend more time there. I'm going to go out there in July and spend a few days. And like, I, I, I wouldn't rule out ever living there again or anything, but um, I mean, I loved it not drinking. Okay. So then like, yeah, so my marriage is falling apart. Everything's going to shit. I'm completely addicted to cocaine. And then I'm like, you know what? I can quit Coke, but all I need to do is have some drinks to get off below. And that was when after four years I started drinking again. And man, as bad as it got on Coke, everything really, really got out of control with, uh, with booze. And that was just so wild. Uh, I ended up, I mean, I ended up back in Nebraska. I don't even, I mean, (laughs) I kind of remember packing the van and my mom was there. Uh, yeah. And like, you know, going, coming back here and trying to just start a new life and, you know, thinking I was going to get clean and sober up, but really I was just out of control for a while, for a while. But yeah. Um, it you know ultimately it, it i now i'm doing good and uh, it's been working out i mean i i, I think if i'd stayed in new york i'd be I'd, I'd probably be on the streets you know so which of all the places and i like i would want to be on the streets in new york no mm-hmm. yeah i know yeah tough sledding yeah so, so yeah. you you mentioned that you're in a good spot now and you can share what you want and don't want to share but mm-hmm. What is that? What is that like for you as as an artist? 
to sort of reclaim. And I, maybe you don't even think of it that way. Maybe this is a really like bonehead question, but how, how has that transition been from that sort of six nights a week, wild cocaine and booze and all of that to coming back to Nebraska, but still making, ma- making art, making music and, and that trajectory of, of, you know, letting go of the substances. Yeah. Well, I, I don't address sobriety directly in any of my lyrics uh, with problems, my, my, but I mean, it's in the fucking band name. Like right. it's I've got the man, problems is the name of my band now. And like, I, my, I do have a song called I've got problems where that's the only way it just goes. I've got problems. But like, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to make like a song where I'm like singing about like, well, first off, I don't sing for, for the listeners out there. People haven't listened problems for all my vocals. I use Apple speak. So I type things into the computer, make the computer say them and then edit it together rhythmically to fit into the song. It's a totally stupid thing I like to do, but um, I'm not going to make a song where I, you know, talk at all about anything resembling sobriety because I don't, I, I don't, I'm past the point in my life where I want to even talk about anything Um personal and i want to talk about politics or relationships or anything i i write most of my lyrics about pekingese dogs and i like to keep it that way just because like it's just like i love pekingese dogs and um here let me i know i know it's uh audio podcast but here for the guys here's hey, Wilbur, a pekingese Wilbur. Print. oh Wilbur. man he's gorgeous you say something listeners i love my daddy oh thanks <laughs> Wilbur. <Okay>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, but, but, but I also know that, uh, first off, if you knew me before and see that I'm doing a band called problems, there's something there. And also one thing, okay. Well, you kind of asked two questions. So let me, let me answer them in order. First off, coming back to Nebraska, I was immediately extremely fucking bored. And that's Mm -hmm. another reason I really got bad with booze is because boredom is my enemy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, when I'm bored, I want to do something to make myself black out so I don't have to experience mm. the time that I'm bored. And that was mm. booze for me. Um, but uh, I mean, honestly, going on house arrest saved my life because. Mm. Then I learned what real boredom was. Mm. I was just going to, I was just going to ask Darren, like, have you been able to embrace boredom? Oh my God. Absolutely. And well, now I know how to be productive. When I start feeling bored, I immediately recognize it, recognize that feeling. And I mean, I'm booking tours, I'm composing stuff for my life and for Netflix. Like I have a million things going on. So it's like, there's always something I can be doing. And I've learned once I get that pang to just like do something productive, even, even like house cleaning or doing the dishes and stuff. It's just like, I've learned to really translate that to just, yeah. But I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I've learned to be comfortable in, in downtime. I, I've been trying to, you know, I read comic books and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I, but yeah, so I was really bored at first and, um, and it's still a little rough for me because I don't fit into any of the music scenes here. I, the rock, the, the, now there's a new crop of rock bands and they don't, they see me, they hear my stuff and they're like, oh, he's EDM. And all right. the kids that I'm friends with, I'm good friends with a bunch of those. Like, there's a crew here called Black Magic, and I'm friends with those guys, and they put on big shows. But like, they they're like, well, we can't really put you on with like big DJs because you're not EDM. And so it's just like, you know, I'm fitting into this really strange space. But I've I've navigated that strange space my entire career. You know, I mean, yeah. And so 
right now is just sort of like a rebuilding, rebranding, restructuring time for me. And like, I don't mind that or fear that or get discouraged by that. I, it's a, you know, one thing about a lot of addicts is uh, we function pretty well in chaos. And this is like a organized chaos in a sense. It's just like the everything is swirling around me and I'm just sort of like, I'm just making sense of what I can when I can and enjoying it. And um, back in the day that used to be really difficult for me and I would get really stressed and I'd feel slighted. Oh, I didn't get on that show or Oh, this didn't, this opportunity didn't work out. And now I've, I'm really, I have a real different outlook on it and I just find excitement and beauty and uh, awesomeness in the things that do work out. Cause I realize like, I am no more. I think I, I've I've met so many killer musicians throughout my life who like never even get to play gigs in their hometown. They don't get booked or they just whatever you know. They can't like a great guitar player who can't find a band or whatever for whatever reason. And it's just like I I'm not I don't deserve anything more than anyone else. And so everything that does come my way, I've learned to really just be like, yes, this is fine. Like let's do this. Like mm-hmm. instead of for what i don't like about it i look for what i like about it you know and, well it's like it, you you made the analogy darren of kind of being tossed around it's like when you get sucked under by the ocean or something and it's like the worst thing you can do is try to fight that the worst thing you can do is freak out you know and it's like just kind of wait to see the sunlight and then swim towards that you know it's like just yeah, saying mm-hmm. yes to those things as they come mm-hmm. yeah that's 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 very true well i you know, I mean, obviously you came to my show last night, which is not original on any level. You know, <laughs> It's like we're a completely we're, you know, a tribute act, to a, a rock monolith, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like so you're like at the f- totally other end of that spectrum. And I just have a tremendous amount of respect for that because I like I can play a little bit, but I don't have original musical thoughts. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I know what I, I like know. and I know oh what God. I like to play and I know what's you know, fun for me. And I know what I kind of can do and kind of what I can't do. So I try not to do those things. Um, so like to, uh, like what I see you doing is it's quite incredible to me artistically. And just, you know, I mean like you're that whole, and what I think what you just said is pure gold, which is that like being okay, not fitting into a box. Yeah. That's and that's, that's called, that's called being innovative. Thanks. Yeah. And I do think that that's like, I think a lot of artists, first off, by the way, real quick, you are extremely good at guitar. Not oh, thank you. you. Play a little bit. You're very fucking good. Uh, but, um, and yeah, I'm not bullshitting. I could have totally not just said that, by the way, but I, you're very, very good. But um, thanks, man. I, uh, I do think though that like that's an interesting thing that happens with a lot of bands like the, the, like a band will get together and they're like a pop punk band or like a modest mouse sounding band or something. And then like one of the guitarists will come in with a riff and he'll it, it's like really weird or, or he'll come in with an idea. He'll be like, listen to this thing I, I came up with. And it's like right there. The band is about they don't realize it, but they're about to make like the most critical decision of their entire career. They're mm-hmm. either going to say let's embrace this weirdness, even though maybe people won't even call us a pop punk band anymore or whatever. We're cause we're going to add two synthesizer players and we're matching outfits and, you know, or whatever. And all of a sudden it's like, they have this, you know, like this, this vision of like some stroke of genius that, that could elevate them to some original world, which is a big risk, but the reward is greater. And, um, and they they're either going to take that or they're just going to be like, no, man, let's just like 
let's just keep doing what we're doing. And, and, and that's okay too. And I honestly don't think that's bad. Like I just think different creative entities have different trajectories and they embrace things differently. I mean, like, like you love Pearl Jam, Joel, and they've been, they're incredible and they've not changed a fucking thing in 30 mm. years. You know, they just like, I mean, like they, they have just been a pretty much like a rock band, you know, like yeah. a consistent, cool rock band for a long time. Whereas then you have people like Radiohead or even Radiohead's um, terrible little brother Coldplay, who all of a sudden are like, let's turn, like, let's start doing some more shit, you know, let's, uh, yeah. some, let's like hear what happens if we glitch out the vocals or something, you know, and it's like, yeah, I mean that, and I don't know, like, I, I don't think, yeah, I just think, um, I, I really early on, I, I had, I, I had a real realization, which was that like your likeliness to succeed in music and by succeed i mean become my guitar teacher james valentine uh is extremely low um like you know you're not like the running odds. man it's like the running man odds yeah. right well, if you're gonna fail which i'm only using those words in this example uh you might as well fail on your own terms yeah and that's beautiful I so I don't feel like what I'm doing is failing, but just in that, in that, from that lens, you know, well, right. Like, I mean, that's, but that's perfect. It's like um, the odds of hitting that brass ring are pretty slim. So I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think, within, I think if, you, if you stay true to that, it's that whole to thine own self be true thing. It's like, do you, and then, yeah. you know, your people will come. Heck I tell my kids that. You know, mm -hmm. like, don't worry which way the wind's blowing. You just do you and the people that you're actually, your, your people will materialize. Maybe yes. not today, but they will materialize. Absolutely. Yeah, I and think I, I always like that singular vision type creative entity, whether it's in music. I mean, because I love Frank Zappa. I love early back when he was all funky and weird. Todd Rundgren, I mentioned, you know, I love all those like, solo artists even if they have a band or whatever i like that vibe a lot like more, and like i mean i like the foo fighters fine i suppose but like that doesn't quite have that same thing to me like i i think B bjork is a great example i love bjork you know yeah. but like and then like and then and i think that's why i love film so much too because I, even though it takes a million people to make a film a, a lot of times i like these like real nutty obsessive directors like darren aronofsky and uh tarantino and these dudes who like have a total idea and just like yeah there's you know I mean, there there's other people involved but, like it's their vision completely yeah. and that, that's a very attractive art form to me no matter what what it is you know there's yeah. a i want to share one of my favorite i'd be remiss not to bring in a jerry garcia anecdote but uh in uh it was like 81 and they were touring europe and I mean, by this time the grateful dead were not you know it wasn't 1967 anymore you know what i'm saying and they yeah. were kind of this traveling buffalo bill wild west-esque road show of what you know i mean that's the way they were perceived a lot of the time and uh jerry sat for an interview with this guy from the new music express which was you know basically a punk scene and mm -hmm. the guy was basically openly hostile towards Garcia. Like, you're a fucking dinosaur. Look at you. You're a pig. Like, what is this? And he says, don't, don't you ever get bored with yourself? And Garcia <laughs> smiled and said, of course. Of yes. course I get bored with myself. He said, but here's the thing about that is that boredom in itself is interesting because it's leading to a new space. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy was like, uh, <laughs> faced with Garcia's sheer reasonableness and, you know, 
Yeah. And they ended up having a, a, a productive conversation. But I love that idea of like, of course, I'm going to be bored sometimes. But yeah. what that will lead to is a new, a new space, a new productivity. And I, th- I th- and I think about that often when I'm kind of feeling like, ah, I don't know, you know, is this all there is or whatever? You know, it's mm-hmm. like to, to, like Joel is just saying, like to embrace that and to not fight it so much and to just kind of like, okay, well, let's just be open to what's possible mm-hmm. with what's here, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about where, when those two mindsets are so malaligned, uh, I remember, you know, like Elvis Costello famously wrote, what's so funny about peace, love and understanding, which yeah. was his song that was sort of like, Hey, why are we giving shit to the hippies? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, especially like, man, like uh, when I, okay. When I very first started touring, it was like, uh, especially that was the time of like, like um folk punk was like a thing where kids were it was like a guy with an acoustic guitar and someone banging on garbage cans and stuff that's how against me started uh and um like that right then it was like the punks were all so aligned with the hippies but they they were just starting to realize it i mean they were all you know anti-government vegan uh right you know, oh wait a minute we're kind of the uh, same <laughs> yeah and it's like you guys the only difference is the music the only right. thing that you you guys are exactly the same except you guys like it loud and fast and you guys like it well i guess kind of loud but uh like a uh, longer form i suppose might sure. be a kind of describing hippie music um yeah i've never I, you guys i i gotta tell you i've never listened to the grateful dead ah! uh, yeah, I've never listened all to right that. i'm making you i'm making you an optical compact disc Yes, I, I, I love you, but I'll tell you this. I kind of think I should just go see them live for my first Grateful Dead experience. Yeah, that's actually not, that's actually the correct answer. It's getting a little yeah. harder to do, though. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I think I think I saw outfit, them last October it was great. I mean, Dead and Company, you should see. But I, I would if it, I'll take Jay you Rad. to to see Joe Russo's Almost Dead. They'll tear your <laughs> shit up, man. I'll, yeah. I'll, so you guys want me to go to time? I, I and I like like I used to not be so into watching jammier bands, and um, over the past few years, I've really learned to appreciate it and enjoy it. Well, if you're into if you like dance music, I mean that's really what it is. With a you know, it helps maybe sometimes if you're not you know, a little little a little microdose might assist a little bit, but uh, you know. Um, but Joe Russo is almost dead. We've talked about whatever, man, you got to go. It'll be a blast. I I mean, one thing, one artist I really, really, really love is Frank Zappa. And I, even though Zappa is highly composed in the riffs and the guitar playing and some of that, some uh, not, not with, um, grateful day because i haven't listened but uh, a buddy of mine, finally, I took the, I bit the bullet and listened to some fish. I'd never listened to fish. Uh And it's like, yeah, there's some of that. There's like, Zappa Adam. guys. Fish is Zappa guys. They used to play. They play Peaches and Regalia every once in a while. Wow, that's wild to me, dude. That's so cool. But, uh, I'll never. I mean, Joel and I have had this conversation many times, but uh, um, it was 1989, I think. And one of my stoner buddies from high school called me up and he said, "Hey, man, you have to come over to my house like right now." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Okay." So I got in my car and drove over there, and he had a copy of Joe's Garage. Oh, nice, dude! Right, God, so and I'd, fun. I'd never, I'd never listened to Frank Zappa at all. I didn't know about Don't Eat the Yellow Snow and all that. Like, I had no frame of reference, and That's we awesome. just spent the next ninety minutes like giggling and snorting and and being and like he used to be such a nice boy. 
he used to cut the grass. I mean, yeah. I just that there that was a before and after experience. There was the world before Zappa and after Zappa. The way it starts with like the description of a garage band. Yeah, yeah. It, was it wasn't very large. More, there was just enough room as they go. So at the beginning, they said the, the actual song you're listening to sounds like a shitty garage band. It keeps uh-huh. getting more polished as the song goes on. Uh-huh. Very. I like that last song on there that has that uh, dude, the other dude singing the song that's about a, a sex robot, Cyborg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me that. Give me that. Chromium head or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, what that was is he was uh, he was um, satirizing uh, Scientology, oh, uh, I don't know. where cool. you could you could only. You I could, think it's vulgar level. I like. I it, what was the? It was the uh, first church of Appliantology. Yeah, that's Steve and I've gone round and round on Frank Zappa, and like I, 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 when I hear it, it's probably how some people feel. And I listen to more fish now, but when people hear fish, they're just like, I can't, what the fuck is happening here? And, and that's what, and that's what like my stepdad tried to get me into Zappa, Steve's tried to get me into Zappa. Like, I'm like, I've, we went and saw Dweezil Zappa's outfit. I'm like, that was great, but I'm like, I don't know how to get into this. Honestly, it was that there was a documentary recently about about yeah. Frank Zappa that was like I watched it. It was like four hours long or something. I'm like, okay. I still haven't I, seen that. I gotta watch. Dude, that. You gotta watch that. Yeah. Really good footage. I uh, I for me the album that did it. My dad used to. Uh, my dad. <laughs> this is another thing about my my musical uh, venture being so eclectic. I think this is. I grew up listening to mixtapes. My dad would make in the car and like. One side, I this is a actual mixtape he had. One side was the side A of Frank Zappa's apostrophe. And by yeah. the way, I think apostrophe is the best starting point for Zappa. And yeah, I agree. Was half bagpipe music and half of damaged by black flag. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's it right there. That's your origin story right there. That's man. it, yeah. Fucking bananas, this mixtape he made. And yeah, I mean, driving around in a shitty Plymouth Voyager with all treble, just like listening to these tunes. But um, yeah, I, I I think I think that um uh apostrophe, I mean that was kind of his I think it's probably his highest selling album. I don't really know, but it's like a uh that's like the one that like people can cling on to the most because it balances the absurdity with the the musicianship gets really over the top a few times, but it stays kind of in check. I think but. I, I got to see Dweezil play the song apostrophe a few years ago. And it was just, it was just stupidly ridiculous. The rest of the band just left the stage and it was just a three piece power wow. onslaught. Yeah. It was, it was just amazing. Mm. I just I, like, if I, like I, if I die today, I, I I'll be fine. Cause I know that I saw that. You know, I don't know if you know the story. I read his autobiography, but uh, the reason they got that other singer, it's Tony something. But anyway, like Zappa, the way he put it in his book, I don't know how true this is. is He was making eyes at some woman in the audience and her boyfriend came up and punched him in the throat and he fell into the pit at this venue and he wasn't able to tour or sing for a couple years. And that's when he got into the Sin Clavier and did all those like production, like those like digital orchestra albums. But when he when his voice box had rehealed, uh, you know, he used to sing all those low notes. He couldn't sing low notes anymore. His voice register had gone up four whole steps in pitch hmm. and he was four half steps in pitch. And so then they had to hire a guy like he didn't want to, like, uh, transpose the songs. And so right. he, he could sing low notes. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, well, OK, so. Uh... 
well, Joel would normally ask these questions, but go it, for it, Steve. What what what's uh what's what's tooting your hooter these days? What are you listening to? What do you listen to? When I get into my Hyundai and I crank <laughs> up the stereo, which always has beautiful, crisp, factory direct sound. You don't need to yeah. replace the Hyundai speakers. They come, they sound so good. Yeah, they're really good. They're really good, everybody. Hyundai Hyundai sound systems is really. I mean, you can just sit. If in the you're into seat. music, you should buy a Hyundai. If you're into bidets, if you're into quasi hybrid vehicles. Well, what I was going to say too, if you're into music, buy a Hyundai. But if you're into silence, I'll tell you what: you roll the windows up on that Hyundai, and a marching band could be walking by, and you don't hear a sound. It can just be at peace with your own thoughts. That is just a quality vehicle. Okay, what is tooting my hooter? What's uh, the to avoid. Um, okay, I have been listening to. I still. I have been listening to a lot of Philip Glass lately. As always, mm. I love Philip mm. Glass. I feel like he scratches every itch I could possibly have musically. Yeah. I have been listening to this French producer named Mister Oizo. He's probably like the biggest. He's probably like who I'm ripping off with problems. If I'm ripping anyone off, he makes like really weird house music stuff. And, uh, he was, he had this one big hit song kind of like in the nineties. And then he made his next album and the label called it unlistenable. He ended up releasing it with Daft Punk's label and kind of came up, uh, knowing those guys. And now he's a pretty famous movie, uh, director. I don't know if you guys have heard of Quentin Depew. He has that new movie coming out about that uh, deerskin jacket. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh yeah, I did see something about that. Super fucking cool, yeah. But he did uh, he did the movie Rubber, which is the movie about the tire. Did you guys see anything about? No. It's huh? So basically, there's this tire that goes around and it just rolls itself around, and then it will f- angle itself so it's facing towards someone. It will start shaking, and then the person's head explodes. Wow. And, yeah, they don't anthropomorphize the tire at all. The tire never speaks. You don't hear its inner monologue, and it's never CGI'd. It's a puppeteered tire <laughs> that just goes around killing people, and that's the entire plot of the movie. Um, it's fucking great. It's it's super good. So it's like it's like a kids movie, really. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's a movie for our inner child. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I've been listening to Mr. Oizo a lot. Um, oh, I just found something super cool last night. I have a um. I have this friend from Lincoln who now lives in um, um, New York and she, she does music as meaner pencil and she, it's just her and a cello and she sings and it kind of has, I love Enya. Enya is one of my favorite singers and she kind of has this Enya vibe, except there's not the big choir vocals. She just has a little bit of a Celtic thing going on. And let me see this. I know the name. I, I found this really cool artist. that reminded me a bit of her last night. It's uh, my brightest diamond. Have you checked this out at all? No beautiful tunes, dude. Beautiful, like um, minimal, sort of slightly orchestral. Not there's really nice production, but it's not like Bjork, you know. It's like yeah. it's like uh, like you. I could see her at the lead center more than I could dance club, and it's like real. Yeah, my brightest diamond. That was that's that's gonna be in heavy rotation over here. That's gonna be tooting my hooter for quite a while. Nice. Well, but can I say that I'm a female musician that she's tooting my hooter? Yep. I, Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a new millennium, man. You. you well, I mean, people are putting the in. You know, the the connotation on it themselves. It's it's always just about been about doing your thing. You know. Okay. But anyone can toot your hooter 
if if you if you consent to them tooting it. Now, have you guys considered an endorsement with Hooters then? Every day. <laughs> you're, you're, you're Not really. Going. We're kind of divided on that, I think. Okay, I, yeah. I used to, in college, me and my college roommate would take a fortnightly trip to Hooters for wings because yeah. we enjoyed the wings. So they, do, they do have a quality wing there. I, I, I remember that was actually the first place I ever had wings. Yeah. Um, I haven't eaten, a, I haven't been to or eaten in a Hooters, uh, since I was probably, you know, I think probably if legal, I should drink. I don't think I ever drank at a Hooters, which means I never was there in my years, but I, uh, I have a really great Hooters story. I was touring the South. I don't know where I was. I'm, I'm just going to lie and say it was in Alabama, okay. uh, definitely in Alabama. And I was driving, it was real late at night. And uh, I, I saw this billboard for Hooters, and I I, to the, I, I think it's like the best billboard I've ever seen in my entire life. It's at Hooters. You gotta eat somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this was an official Hooters yes. advertisement. Yes. Oh my god. Early two thousands Hooters. You've got to eat somewhere. I got to eat somewhere. Google image searches. I've tried to find a picture of this billboard. It's like, I just thought, man, that is so fucking good. But <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 yeah, I know I saw this. Like I, I wish I, I wish I could say, well, it might've been a dream, but I, I saw this billboard. It was, it was awesome. Hyundai. You've got to drive something. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Darren, man, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to speak with us this morning. It's been a blast. Yeah. yeah you said I'm supposed to remind you to plug my, I'm supposed to plug oh, my, fuck. Yeah, yeah, plug, plug your shit. What, how do people listen to you? Where do you want them to find you? You're on the band camp. Listening to this podcast at this point, you actually might be the kind of person who would come to one of my shows. So exactly. Yeah. I make my music now. It's problems. Like I mentioned, you can find me on Spotify. You can find my band camp. I have, it's a one man band, God dot One man band. God is sort of, I don't know what I'm doing with it yet. If it's a record label, it's just kind of my brand. It's just sort of my thing. I refer to myself as the one man band. God. Sometimes I've done 20 million one man bands. So I figure I've earned it. Yep. Uh, if I, and I'd love to see someone contend, you know, contest me for it. Well, that'd uh, be, that'd be interesting. Ooh, Bring yeah. it. Yeah, I, I welcome it. It'd be fun. Uh, I love, like I said, I love, I love solo performers, and I, I would, I, and you know what? If I, if I had, I, I gendered it, and that's the only mistake I made because as as time goes on, I realize that's that man in there is going to totally edge me out. But um, yeah, and I'm going on tour in March around the Midwest, playing some shows with Lightning Bolt, the seminal noise band. We're going to do some big venues, and then doing some shows of my own. Uh, June, I'm going out west to. California and back, and then July I'll be in the East Coast. Nice. Um, is there a website with those dates? No, nope. Instagram. Uh, but I, Instagram. I'm working on a website right now, actually. But but I'm I'm one of those idiots who never got one. But sure, uh, well, I'm working. It's like people, your fans and friends don't really check your website out, but uh, yeah, it's good for like uh, it's like your online portfolio almost. But sure, why am I talking about this? Uh, yeah, you can go to my Instagram, it's Darren underscore Keen, and I upload images and I keep my tour dates on there and stuff. Nice, and you can also see great stories with Darren and his Pekingese dogs, <laughs> yeah, and you can see all those stories where I go to concerts and stand very still and tag them party animal. It's a yeah. new, it's, I'm getting really good at that. So, yeah. I got one with you in it last night. I don't know if you saw it, Steve. I haven't seen it yet. I saw it. You're in oh, I'll check it out. 
you're playing guitar over my shoulder and I'm just staring dead eyed into the camera. <laughs> it says party animal. Party I, think animal. I, saw you, I think I saw you've taken that shot. Yeah, it, it looks really good. Eric's like real mid kissy face and everything. It's just, um, <laughs> Eric, Eric and that and him, he just wiggles like nobody wiggles, man. He's got he shakes his ass like any like nobody does. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a good person to play Mick Jagger. That's real. Yeah, he, he, he looks a little bit like Jagger too. And yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, like, uh, that's part of what's fun. Of, that's part of what's part. fun about playing in exile for me is watching Eric. Nice. Hell yeah. That's yeah, great. I love it. Well, thank you, you so much, Darren. Yeah. We love you. Everybody yeah. check out Darren's stuff. Old and new. Um, Darren's just the sweetest guy ever. And we love you dearly and keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you. We'll do. And thank you for having me here. This was really fun. Love you guys too. Right on, man.
forget, toot your hooter.